Hey human beings, hi everyone and welcome to this brand new episode of the Gattocast Live. Tonight I'm going to talk again about uh, lockdowns and restrictions and why they are not a good idea and um, I think I did a, a very long and uh, boring episode the first time but I really feel the need to do it again because uh, this uh this idea is really hard to um how do you say it's still floating around and there's still plenty of people considering this uh, a good idea and i would argue that there's plenty of evidence um that indeed it's not and there's uh, we should really give up on thinking that um this kind of restrictions are helpful in containing the pandemic but let me start uh, again from the beginning. So, what mainly within science, which is uh, exactly what uh, the guys that the people that usually are in favor of these measures uh, also say that they're using to to propose this. They say that they're, um, you know, these kind of restrictions are based on on data and science. But if you dig. Um, if you dig enough into the data, into the um, the mechanisms behind them, then you would see, I guess, that it's pretty clear that there's no data and there's no science behind this kind of uh, reasoning. So behind the choice of fully locked down countries, which means preventing people from going out, from, you know, um, shutting the stores, um, closing uh, bars and restaurants and so on and so forth. There's absolutely no case for that once you look at the date. Um, I will be mainly discussing why a very good article that makes a very good summary on um, on the issue and uh, gets takes into account um, most of the um, of the data that we have on the subject. So okay, sorry, they say the sound is saturating. Can you hear me now? Is right. Um, sorry. Okay. So uh, please let me know if you can hear me well. But um, anyway, let me start again with the whole idea. And so, why is it that uh, we are still dealing with lockdowns, and why is, is it that we are still? you know it is why is, it, is this a popular idea i mean we know everyone knows that it's very painful to close people in their homes and you know prevent them from going out and shutting down restaurants and so on and so on and so forth but and uh, the whole point is that the theory behind it is, is pretty much logical so may it makes sense and it sounds to be scientific just because you know it makes sense so it's a uh, the idea is that uh, there's this virus going around and um we are bringing it around so while we breathe we you know we breathe into the air aerosols and uh, droplets uh, with very small uh, yeah drops of uh, of water or <laughs> uh, whatever it is um, saliva in into the air and so these things carry around the virus so when we move and if we are infected with the virus and we move and we breathe then we bring the virus with us and so if you go to places where you see other people like um, restaurants or bars or 
uh, anything else that you might come to your mind, then uh, you would think that gathering people together would help the transmission. And I mean, there's no point arguing about it. I think it's pretty logical, right? But again, this rests on many assumptions if you think about it, because it's uh, you're assuming that you know everyone is equally likely to get the virus. I mean, if you get one particle of virus, so to say, you're equally likely of you know uh, developing the infection as everyone else. Or, for example, you're still assuming that the virus, for example, uh, you know, it, 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 it um, even when you leave, then it's it's not there anymore. Maybe staying there for hours, so it's you know it doesn't matter if you stayed in a place for five minutes or two hours. I mean, we don't know that exactly. I know there are studies on that, but. I would question that. I, I'm, I don't think we ex we know exactly what's the mechanics of transmission, and this is based on another kind of observation. So, um, first, let me uh, again stress something that is uh, should be the core of the of science of the scientific method, which is not what the scientists say. I mean, because most of the times here, uh, when we debate the um, this argument, uh, we hear people saying, "Oh, but the experts said this, and so we should trust the experts." I think we should trust the experts on many cases, but first of all, this is a new thing, and so maybe you know, maybe everyone is wrong, or most of the people are wrong, or many people are wrong. The experts might be wrong as well. It happened tens of times in the past, so this might be uh, the case as well. Um, but again, you need to trust the data. You need to trust the scientific method. And so, what the scientific method tells you is that if you have a theory, and your theory says that B and C cause D, right? So you have some kind of effect, say um, you have some uh, cause and effect, right? So you have um, a virus and then you say that if you do A, that is lockdowns, then you don't have D, um, which is the um, the effect, right? So the, um, the fact that uh, you get infections in this case, mm, then you would say in this, within this framework, you would argue that you should, I mean, this is what you should argue, is that if you remove D, so if you remove the contact between people, then you shouldn't see infections anymore, right? Or the other way around. I mean, if you still keep, if you don't prevent people from interacting, from meeting, then you should see a lot of that effect because you are saying that this, it's, it's a people meeting, in this case, that is mediating the transmission of the virus. And yet that's the main channel. Okay, so everything is driven by that. That's why we are focusing so much efforts, as, as I mean, I'm talking about we, but you know, our governments, on preventing people from meeting, on preventing you know people from gathering in in pubs and restaurants, everywhere. We are. Um, the, this is what hap what's happening right now in Italy. So we entered a sort of soft lockdown. So in many regions, basically everywhere, um, restaurants are closed except for one region. Um, and you are, there's a curfew, so you cannot uh, go out of home after eight in most of the country. And there's lots of other restrictions. So again, this is um, this is the kind of measures that are implemented in order to prevent people from meeting. And so, as a response, as an effect of these measures, what you would see is a drastic. You know, if uh, let's say you have two countries, one is doing this and the other is not doing that. Um, if you don't do that, if you say that, if your theory says that, you know, it's interactions between people that drive the curse of the pandemic, then if you don't prevent people from interacting, if you don't prevent people from meeting, then you should see 
something which is very different from the other case. And again, I don't think it's, you know, like closing all the restaurants in one city, closing all the bars, uh, preventing people from going to museums and cinemas. That's like, I think you're reducing, you know, the uh, kinds of uh, interactions and gatherings, um, like by uh, by a lot. I, I, I don't know the numbers, but I, I would say that you have hundreds of thousands of people less in meeting every night, right? And so this, if you are preventing hundreds of thousands of people from meeting, like millions of people probably, from meeting in bars, in restaurants, in, in pubs, in, you know, in, in schools, everywhere, and you are just, you know, you have these stay-at-home order, orders, um, then you should see an effect, definitely. It should be completely different from what happens in places where these millions of interactions are taking place. And it's not just that you, you cannot just argue, um, you cannot explain it away by saying, oh, but you know, the places where these interactions are taking place, they have, you know, they are washing their hands, they're putting masks on, or they're keeping distance, because this is exactly the same thing that we have been doing in most of Europe so far, most of lockdown Europe. And so I really think that, um, again, uh, this is the kind of way you should argue about the, the thing, that we have this virus that is spreading, we don't really know the dynamics, the theory says that if you block everyone, if you prevent everyone from meeting, then you shouldn't see an effect anymore. You should reduce the contagions, you should reduce the spread of the virus, which means you should reduce the number of deaths, for example. Um, but this is not something that we see in the data. And so what, what, what should we do here? Um, scientifically, the idea is, is always, has, has always been the same. If you find some data that is contradicting your theory, then you need to think hard about the new theory. Data is king. And it's not enough, it's not enough to say that my theory predicts that after one week, for example, after the lockdown, uh, then the curve, the peak of the curve is going, will, 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 will be reduced, will be going down, right? Will be reached after one week, probably, one week, two weeks. And then um, after that, uh, the number of cases will be uh, reduced. It's, it's not just, it's not enough because, you know, science works by falsification. So that's uh, Popper's theory in the sense that you can always find out a theory that it can be verified. For example, I might say that uh, the, reduce, the reduction in the number of cases is not driven by interventions of the government. It's driven by prayers. And I might say, I might say look, in Italy, every time uh, we enter into the red zone, enter we, we, you know, we, we enact the lockdowns, I'm starting to pray God and then after two weeks God is, is making the curve go down and you see that's my, also my prayer theory or any other theory you could make would, be, would, would have exactly the same kind of uh, compliance with the data because I can always say oh but you know I'm praying God and then God made the uh, cases go down after a while well <laughs> you know it's a theory but uh, let's test it against the data the thing is that you should say okay you should say like this is, is if if I'm praying and then nothing happens like it's not happening what a for example so, sorry it's the other way around if I'm not praying then I should see an exponential rise of the cases uh, and then if it doesn't happen it means that probably praying is not an important factor at all same thing with the lockdowns so um, what I want to talk about here then is the is exactly this is um, in I um, is the fact that uh, so we I think we really have 
forgotten the importance of the data and, and falsification especially so especially looking at the cases that do not fit our theory because so far people all around Europe have been focusing themselves all their efforts on confirming their theories so you have a theory of uh, how the virus spreads and you predict that if you know you inter intervene in that way then the virus doesn't spread anymore you see that at some point we don't know exactly when because in some cases it might be one month some cases two weeks some cases it's one week if you look at you know at all the curves in each country it's always more or less random when you know the time frame that happens that passes between the lockdown the start of the lockdown and uh, and the reaching of the peak of the curve but nonetheless you have this theory and so first of all you don't really know what's the time frame but the actual thing that you should look at again is those places that didn't do the same thing what happened to them because all of these interventions all of these interventions relied they started with the with the with an underlying hypothesis and the hypothesis was that if we don't do anything cases will grow exponentially until we don't reach herd immunity so until there's enough people that are being infected by the virus that the virus won't have any more anyone anymore to, to infect so there will be recovered people from the virus there will be dead people and there will be infected people at some point you know this you will have just enough people that will already have already been infected that are either still infected or you know either dead or recovered and so uh, at some point you will just you won't have anyone to infect anymore and that's the point where the virus is going to you know stop its spread um, and this this was the reason why we needed to stop we had this whole flattening of the curve we, we needed to you know like prevent people from getting infected very quickly so if the exponential process is true then you know it means that many people will get infected very quickly and eventually they will saturate the intensive care units um, unless again unless we prevent people from meeting unless we shut down everything and you know like uh, this way it was argued we should cut the chain of um, of contagion but was this the case I mean let me start um, let me introduce you to this article that I already posted on my uh, page a couple of time a couple of times I guess but um, and I think it's really worth reading it um, there's a lot of technical data but it's a very good summary of uh, what are the ideas of behind this and why again this is scientific there's no conspiration theory here there's no you know uh, it's based on data and, and science and evidence but, and I think it's something that should be kept in mind and again the idea is that you should start from the data and then use the data as a benchmark to judge how good your theory is it's not the other way around we shouldn't massage or elaborate the data so much in order to make them fit our prejudice because this is what ha what's happening at the moment so well it starts with a very um, nice plot here it's the uh, cumulative number of deaths per million so this is the number of the how many people died per million there's two curves this is the European Union versus Sweden and so you have the curve here this is the azure curve that is you know it's you can see that they are pretty much uh, equal one to the other 
and this is with time so it's this is the cumulative so is the total number of deaths normalized by million of uh, inhabitants all right so the article starts with this very important sentence which uh, i would um, agree with and it says that a year ago when the covid 19 pandemic hit most of the world there was arguably a good case for lockdowns the initial growth of the epidemic implied the high basic reproduction number which in turn meant that unless transmission was reduced, the virus would quickly sweep throughout most of the population because incidents would continue to grow exponentially until herd immunity threshold. And this was what I was telling you before. So here we're dealing with a theory. Uh, again, it's the um, epidemiologic theory that tells you that, you know, if you have this kind of exponential growth, this is the key sentence then. Um, the virus would quick, quickly sweep through most of the population and grow exponentially until the herd immunity threshold was reached. So it would just grow regardless of any other parameter until you reach herd immunity, unless, unless you cut this chain of transmission, right? And so this is, this is what many people still think nowadays. So many people continue to reason along those lines, all right? But since then, we have learned that whatever the precise effect of the, uh, that lockdowns and other stringent restrictions have, it is not so large that it can easily be picked up by the data, as it would surely be if restriction had the very large effect that pro-lockdown advocates claim. This means that we basically, it's very hard to see any effect of the lockdowns in the data. So the first thing is that many factors likely going to be, now it's, it's, it's going there, I don't want to dig too much into what are the um, possible effects, but uh, uh, first of all, you know, people just modify their behavior regardless of what the law is telling them to do. And so maybe it's just enough to change a little bit of our behavior to prevent the transmission. You don't need to shut down everything to reduce transmission. You know, just the fact that people know that there is a virus going around might be, and, and you know, and then when they know that there's a virus going around, they might be, you know, less likely to go out and go to concerts and all these kind of events. Maybe that's enough. Maybe, I mean, I'm saying maybe, I don't know. There's, this is something we know for sure. Um, so there's uh, some explanations here on the reason why lockdowns might, might be uh, very effective, but, um, So the thing is that, uh, okay, j j let me just, you know, <laughs> just move uh, forward. So, so even if you make a completely implausible assumption about the effects of restrictions of transmission and ignore all of their costs, except their immediate effect on other people's well-being, they do not pass a cost-benefit test. Again, even if you assume that they are working, this is something it's done at the end of the article. I don't really subscribe to what's being in there, but it, you know, it, it, he admits that it's not very um, precise, but it's just giving a rough um, idea because I'm not talking about cost benefits. I'm not talking about the cost of the lockdown, and neither is he for most of the uh, for most of this article because the whole stress, the whole idea is here to analyze 
the impact that lockdowns had on data, whether you can see something. Um, and the fact is, you know, that um, most of this debate is focused on Sweden, but, uh, you know, there's lots of other countries and places that didn't really um, lock down during the, at least during the second wave or they, you know, they didn't implement the same kind of harsh restrictions that were implemented in most of Europe during the first wave, for sure, and the second wave also. For example, in Germany, where all schools, any kind of school, was shut down, and you had, like, I think it was at least two months of complete lockdown. So, the thing is that, um, it, that there's, of course, there's other places that didn't do that, and again, if you believe in the theory that exponential contagion takes place, you should see thousands more people dead in those places. You should, it should be like you shouldn't be even be able to compare that because, again, we are not talking about something small here. We are talking about locking down an entire country. You cannot just say that if some people go out despite the lockdown, then that's what's still driving the infections because. 99% of the restaurants are still closed. 99% of the, of the bars are still closed. Maybe there's, I don't know what's the non-compliance rate. It's very low for sure in Italy. And so there's still, you know, millions of people that are prevented from meeting in every country every night. So you multiply, you know, how, ma how much did you reduce the interaction? It's a lot. It's a lot. You're preventing people from meeting in bars and cinemas. And you cannot just explain that away by saying that in some places, you know, for example, Japan, they kept everything open. For example, Florida, North Dakota, Alabama, there's um, a bunch of uh, American states, US states, they were kept open. And so, again, the, bot the, the bottom line here is that you should judge the, um, the policies by their effects. The main thing here is not whether, you know, it, it, I still think it's true that you can get COVID by, you know, by interaction with some people. Of course you do. But is it the main driver? I don't know. Like, judging from the data, I would say that we really need to change our understanding because if you still see lots of in infections taking place in places where they were completely shut down, then it means that you, you have at least other channels of interactions that you're not taking into account at the, at the moment. All right, so let me go back to the article. And um, this was something I already, something I already said. So uh, back in spring, I was in favor of lockdowns, but since then I have reached the conclusion that the lockdowns and other stringent restrictions do not make sense from a cost-benefit perspective. Um, and it's not even the point from, you know, like what I was saying right now is that is if other changed his mind. So however, in this I will not be arguing for this view. I, will, I only want to argue that regardless of what would have been done last spring, the data we have accumulated since then shows very clearly that whatever the precise effect of lockdowns and other strange restrictions, it is not nearly as large as we might have thought. So again, the idea here, I mean, the point here is not even arguing about cost-benefit analysis, because this is also something legitimate that you should do. I mean, if, you know, to prevent... 10,000 people dying from COVID, you kill 100,000 in the process, well, then it means that this measure is not worth taking. But even regardless, because here, what we are arguing is that we don't even know what's the, even without knowing the cost of the lockdowns, 
the lockdowns per se have an effect that is very, very, very hard to, to, you know, to <laughs> disentangle in the data. All right, so again, back to Sweden, I've shown this plot already. Um, the point is, um, the main point that he's making and the same point that I agree is that policy is not the only factor affecting the epidemic. And that's, that's the point. And so this graph does not show that lockdowns and other stringent restrictions have no effect. But if policy mattered as much as pro-lockdowns advocates claim, it would look completely different. I mean, if you say that lockdowns are essential to stop the spread of the pandemic, these two lines should be completely different. And this is one thing. If you say that lockdowns are one among the hundreds of factors that affect the course of the pandemic, which I'm not denying that lockdowns might have some effect. I, I, on, on, you know, like they might, you know, prevent some cases from happening. Maybe, yeah, it's true. The point is that when you aggregate a full data set, when you look at things on a whole, you don't find anything. Um, they don't, you don't find anything of this, um, of this effect. You should see two completely different lines. You should see that places, you know, like basically the whole EU went to some phase of lockdown. Sweden didn't, most remarkably. And so then you should really see two completely different curves. Because in one place, you are still allowing people to go to the gym. You are still allowing people to go to school, to go to, you know. You, they did that in the US, well, uh, admittedly. But, you know, like <laughs> we had several lockdowns in Italy. Now we enter, as I said, we entered a second one. Uh, we had a lot of restrictions. We had, you know, gyms closed and some schools were closed, universities closed. This was not the case in Sweden. So if you, again, you're allowing millions of people more every night, you're allowing them to meet. So indeed, although, although Sweden has tightened restrictions to fight the epidemic in recent months and the other EU countries have, on the contrary, used less stringent restrictions, restrictions in Sweden remain much less stringent than almost everywhere else in Europe. And this is true again. It's a, if you say that measures count that much, then you should see a remarkable difference. Um, and again, if you uh, there's the there were exactly these predictions being made back in uh, in April, and they um, they were based on this epidemiologic epidemiologic model models where they were showing that if you if you took them seriously, so these mathematical models of the spread of the epidemic predicted at least uh, ninety six thousand dead in Sweden by um, by June 2020 and they were I think around 4,000 at that time so it was a factor around 25 um, difference between the predictions and uh, and what happened the thing is then why didn't people change their mindset why do we still think about that <laughs> again the reason is that I guess that people are sort of you know like um, the experts, and it's not all the experts, because many of the experts actually don't know, do not think it's it's the right way to go. But you know, those that are usually give, uh, given given um, voice by the government, um, they so these experts usually tend to fail, still think that their models are right. And if the model doesn't work, then it's not a problem with the model. Um, it's that people are not complying enough, or they didn't lock down hard enough. So these are the two usual explanations. They say if we only lock down like China, 
Um, and then the, this is just to open a parenthesis, it's funny because people say we should do like China, but when you say we should do like Sweden, no, no, we cannot do like Sweden because, you know, we are completely different than Sweden. Um, sorry, we are like in the same political union. I would say that Italy is probably closer to Sweden than it is to China. So if we have to implement any kind of measure, we should take the example from Sweden, not from China, which is a completely different country by orders of magnitude from from Italy, as far as I would I would tell. And again, so this is uh, the um, another graph that's showing the cumulative number of COVID uh, deaths for per million in the EU. For this is the full European Union, I guess. And you see that all these lines have more or less a similar pattern. They have this flattened thing uh, during the summer, and then they start again in October. I mean, this is something also very interesting. If you see, they all start to rise around October, right? It's the, like the first to third week of October, they all start to rise again. And um, this is, I mean, for me, it's interesting. And it's I, I would say this is the thing that made me think seriously about uh, the lockdowns, because we have been told since the beginning of the epidemic that climate didn't mat matter that much. It was not seasonal. It was, was a virus that would be floating around no matter what and so we really need to be careful and then all of a sudden when the fall kicks in all of the countries start to rise again and with different rates granted with different rates different you know death uh, per millions but again um, you have uh, 30 different countries with different policies different everything and they you know you get the same kind of uh, wave at the same point Maybe there's some external factor that's driving this start of this other wave. Maybe. This is not something that was discussed so much. At least not as much. It wasn't probably given so the relevance it should have been given. Anyway, so this is another interesting plot. And this is the, um, uh, the point that he's making is that although there remain significant disparities between EU countries, what is striking, if you have kept yourself informed about the various policies used to contain the epidemic in various EU countries, is the lack of any clear relationship between policy and outcomes. So this is something that has been analyzed as a number of studies that have been uh, studying the relationship between the stringency of the lockdowns and the death rates in a country. And they never were able to find anything. You can correlate this with mask um, wearing mandates and other uh, kind of laws that were enacted in different countries. But uh, again, you see these numbers, can you say, can you see some trend between deaths and, you know, like Belgium, for example, had the most stringent policies were shut down for ages. They are still shut down as far as I know. Um, Czech Republic performed like did pretty well during the first lockdown, second lockdown, it was huge death rate. There's basically, you know, there's, um, and, and Czech Republic, by the way, also did a very stranger lockdown as far as I know. So you really don't see, you don't see, a part, there's no pattern here. And again, if you are saying that, you know, it's not like you're doing something small here. You're, you're shutting down an entire economy, an entire country. You're reducing, you're preventing people from traveling, right? So if you do this, you should really see a lot of effect. It's not something small. It's not that you you know we changed the speed limit by five kilometers per second, or we changed the uh, the shutting down of the bus from eleven to ten. You're sh you're preventing the bus from functioning. You're preventing the restaurants from functioning. You're, there's f lots of places that are not working. 
So why is it the case that you don't see such a strong effect in the data? And again, this is mind-boggling. I mean, again, you can probably dig enough into the data and do some kind of more sophisticated analysis um, and, you know, take other factors into account. And I'm sure, you know, between the lockdowns and, and other policies, <laughs> there are other factors. But again, this is just telling you that policy alone is not so important. So it's one of these many factors. And say that maybe, the, you know, the, if the um, epidemics depends on a number like 10, 20 variables, um, then each one of them should have a relative weight, a relative contribution to the spread of the epidemics. And in this case, I would say that, you know, the um, again, judging from the data, given that, you know, you have a very strong, um, there were very strong uh, interventions being made, you simply don't see the dominance of these interventions or other factors, which means that the interventions per se were subdominant with respect to other factors. At least, like you would, you, which means in a way it's like it's like saying they were not so relevant. Maybe they had some weight. Maybe I mean, granted, but surely it's not like as striking as it should be because if closing down restaurants, if closing down gyms and schools is something essential to stop the spread of the pandemic, then you should see huge differences between the places that did shut down schools and bars and those who didn't, like Sweden. Then why is, why is this not the case? It, again, it cannot just be because some places shake hands and some other not, because if anything, I would argue that Germans are at least um, at every bit as compliant as the Swedes uh, to the rules and they're also not so warm, so they don't hug each other, they don't kiss each other as much as we do, for example, in Italy or in other South European countries. And so you should still explain why you had uh, with two very different policies uh, regarding shutdowns and, and, um, and lockdowns, you still had a very similar outcome. So it, it cannot be behavior because behavior was the same, policy was very different. And so if policy mattered that much, then you should see a completely different result. But it doesn't. Again, and so this is something striking and really makes me upset, is that uh, every time you see in the media people talking about lockdowns, people talking about uh, places that were kept open, um, they were always treated like... Um, um, Okay, so before before I enter this, uh, what did Finland do? It has the lowest there, but they are known for not being very social. So it's true, Finns are not very social, but they didn't shut down very harshly uh, on the second wave. Um, during, I think, until December, they were more open than Sweden on many things. Then I remember they shut down gyms and uh, other facilities in, uh, in Helsinki, at least. Now, I don't know. They might have as well locked down, but they never had... Um, a huge diffusion of the pandemic so maybe it's maybe it's it's behavior but it, it cannot be just behavior because you know there's many places that were not so social and they still had very large numbers and still again even if you're not social if you're still going to school you're going to bars you're going to restaurants you're going to the gym it's not just you know that the fact that you're not being social because in one place you're staying home alone for every week for a few months and you're not meeting anyone in the other place even if you're not social you're still crossing paths with 
thousands of people every day because you're still going to the restaurants, bars, gyms. So anyway, so this is the thing that's it's pretty upsetting and it's um, um, it's disturbing, I would say. Uh, that um, again, so this is what they're saying. Um, it's the fact that once you see some place opening, for example, or some place that is allowing concerts, uh, you always see the headlines, oh, this place is going to be doomed and it's going to be destroyed. And if they open this, now everyone will die. There's going to be really apocalypse. I'm not making this up. So look at, for example, um, back in April, The Atlantic published a piece called Georgia's Experiment in Human Sacrifice, decrying the decision by the governor of that state to lift many restrictions. Okay, so let's have a look at the result of this so-called experiment. And you see that the average of the US and Georgia is exactly the same. So it didn't do worse than the rest of the country by opening everything in April. So did anyone, you know, acknowledge this fact? So again, you have a theory that's telling that if you open everything, everyone will die, then it doesn't happen. You should at least say, okay, maybe my theory, my assumptions were wrong. And this has been done over and over again. This is something that's happening all the time. When Japan, Japan said they would open again, there were headlines um, saying that Japan is going, you know, um, to certain death. And uh, same thing for, um, for Florida, same thing for, I don't know, there's just so many places that opened and then they were decried the whole Southeast Asia, basically. Anyway, so uh, this is, um, I'll just keep this. Um, and again, what's remarkable in the US is that you had uh, 50 different policies, basically every state was have, having its own policy. And um, again, if you look at the graph, the same graph I was showing before for the European Union, is that if you look at number of deaths per million versus the state, you don't really see a clear correction, connection with the um, kind of policy that was enacted, right? It's not there. I mean, you cannot just argue that those with low um, numbers have had the stream most stringent lockdowns and those with high death rates had no lockdown because it that's simply not what's, what's happening. Um, and again, um, this is again this is something I should remark, and I, I, I really like the the, the, the the sentence because even if someone has been able to find a large effect of non-pharmaceutical interventions on transmission with a more sophisticated statistical analysis, the fact that it doesn't jump at you when you look at this kind of sample simple graphs should make you skeptical of that finding. And the larger the effect, the more skeptical you should be. Because if non-pharmaceutical interventions really had a very large effect, it should be easy to see without fancy statistics. Again, this is non-pharmaceutical interventions that is lockdowns, restrictions, and so on and so forth. They are the elephant in the room. It's something huge they are doing to the population. You're doing something huge, and you don't see any huge effect. You don't see any, almost any effect. There's, again, maybe if you do some kind of fancy correlation stuff, you can sort of try to find out some single out some kind of correlation between those um, 
those two variables between non-pharmaceutical intervention and reduction in death rates. But the fact that you don't see it because it's not like, oh, it's one among the many factors. Well, then if it's just one among the many factors, why are we paying such a high price for this? Because we are, I mean, again, I didn't mention that we as I'm talking about myself as a musician, but about all the people that I know that work in the industry. And it's something that, by the way, it's, it's really upsetting that no one in the industry, um, on the music industry, is doing anything about this in the sense. No one is protesting. They are just shutting down all the events. And no one is even um, trying to argue that, you know, maybe closing everything is not the solution. And, you know, just because uh, places that did not close everything didn't undergo that kind of exponential indefinite uh, exponential uh, explosion of the cases so maybe we can find a way to reopen at least some things and do things in a certain way yes you know because we know that things do not work that way i mean that theory of you know that <laughs> the virus will circulate until you re reach herd immunity and it will circulate in a exponential fashion is false that's been falsified by the data so there's other factors at play for sure and uh, we need to focus on what what these other factors are and it's not just government in interventions all right so there's uh, a last point well there's many other points um, and this is also very interesting because if you look closely enough to this uh, to these curves at these curves then you can find that uh, you will find that in most of the cases the lockdowns were enacted when the peak of the curve was already reached. So it's very hard to argue that, you know, if you have a curve that's going up and then um, you know, that's, uh, you have the data, you have the, um, sorry, the curve is going up, you reach the peak and then it, the peak starts to go down and it starts going down maybe um, two or three days before the lockdown. So how can you argue that something you did three days after that mm, is bringing the curve down, if the curve was already going down before that? You might say maybe the lockdown has some effect on like accelerating the decrease of the curve. It might be. Again, in some cases, you can see that the, curve, the peak of the curve was reached uh, much uh, later uh, than the lockdown. It's, the point is that in general, there is no pattern between the the day or the date of the of the closure and the um, and the decrease of the curve. So again, this is the for example, this is a plot about France. Let me go to this one. Okay, so daily number of COVID cases in Paris during the second wave, and so you had this is the first curfew, and then you see you reached the peak, and then after a few days you had the national lockdown. So you might still argue that. The curfew had some kind of effect here in reaching the peak. Maybe the lockdown, but you, you, surely you cannot argue that lock, you know, the, the lockdown was necessary at this point because it was already going down. You might say, look, it's going down faster because of the lockdown. Maybe you cannot say that cases started to decrease thanks to the lockdown. That's something you cannot say for sure. But again, this is one, just one curve and it's one country. The thing they should do is gather evidence on many other places and try to see if there, there is some kind of consistent pattern between shutting down and reaching the peak. 
Anyway, so this, uh, this is another interesting case. Let me just skim through this uh, this data. Okay, um, what I was talking about uh, the UK before going to the UK. Okay, so this is something interesting because something I posted already. But again, let me get let me go through this uh, this plot again because something that people have said is that you should lock down very early in order to spread the uh, um, in order to stop the spread of the pandemic. And so one of these places is Peru, okay? Again, pro-lockdown advocates like to insist that lockdowns are most effective when they are done early and the rules are stringent. And so Peru did exactly this. They basically they had nine nationwide registered cases, no death from COVID. The cure was very, very flat at the beginning. They sent the army in the streets. So again, you can argue that maybe not everywhere in Peru they had... Um, the control of the army. On the other hand, uh, you know, I don't think in rural villages on the Andes they had some kind of control. But uh, I would argue that you know, if you go to cities and you had the army there, that's also where you would register the cases. Like, probably they would not register. I mean, if you didn't have the army, you don't have the hospital. Like, you, you don't have the states, right? If you argue that many, much of the country is probably not really under control of the state, which might be true, to some degree. Um, then it means that you are not even checking for the numbers in, the, in those places because you don't have hospitals, and so these numbers, you know, you you can still have a lot of errors and you know uncertainties. But something that we know for sure is that Peru had the worst um, excess mortality in 2020, and had one of the most stringent lockdowns. In fact, if you look at the um, uh, Oxford stringency index, it had like 80 on the um, stringency. Um, of the lockdown, which was like from zero to hundred scale, and it was one of the highest. It's like the highest after China, China during the first uh, two months on in Wuhan. Um, and so again, but this is the point. I mean, you're doing something so stringent. You're, you know, you're sending the army in the streets. Entire cities are prevented from, you know, from leaving because everyone is. They had a three p.m. curfew. Um, same thing, by the way, they had in Panama something very similar where um, only male uh, or female could go out, uh, men or women could go out uh, during the day. So they had days where men were allowed to go out and other days where uh, women, women were allowed to go out. And again, this is not what we would expect. I mean, you wouldn't expect the most, the highest mortality. You would expect some, maybe. You would say, well, maybe the rules were not... Uh, so tightly enforced everywhere and maybe there was some corruption and people were still going around but you know if you have the army in the streets and you close everything at 3 p.m it's it's very it, it's a very very strong measure you shouldn't see any you should like it's not like every no one should die but if these are cases are recorded in places where you have the army then it means you know, so sorry, where you have hospitals and, and the state presence, state officials recording the cases, it means you had the army as well, enforcing the lockdowns. So I don't really trust the fact that it's, you cannot just say that, you know, people were doing whatever they wanted because no one was checking. No, they were, and those that were checked, all these numbers come exactly from those areas that were being checked by the army. So it's very hard to make a case for that. And this is exactly the opposite. So again, this is the opposite of what the theory says. What should we do with this? 
we're still hanging to this theory. Why, why are we still doing that? Of course, because the theory makes sense. Again, it's, uh, it's logic. I'm not saying it's not, it's like something that's, it's metaphysics. He has some grounds and in some plausible grounds, but it's not, what, it's not what's happening in reality. So should we take the theory or should we take reality? Again, this was what I was mentioning before. Um, and this is another of the graphs that's being used by the lockdowners to show that uh, lockdowns work. And this is after a week, you see you reach the peak just a week after the lockdown. Except this is the daily number of recorded cases, but the date of report, which means the day that we are reported to the um, authorities, which is not the day in which they were recorded, because not all of the, author of the hospitals and the um, health institution report daily to the ministry. Or sometimes the update is not, yeah, I'm not sure about the mechanism, but that's the difference between the day the case was recorded and the day it was reported and, uh, you know, given to the authorities. Because if you normalize by this, so there's a way that you can, uh, again, I, I don't know the, the exact thing, but this is the date of specimen. So this is the date where the, um, the, um, the cases were actually being uh, recorded. Right, and so this is the, the the number, and you see that the peak was reached before the lockdown. This is the peak. The lockdown is maybe one or two days later, and then the curve is going down. And again, it's very hard to argue that it started going down thanks to the lockdown. You, again, you might say somehow that it went down faster. Um, same thing here. Um, this is. Um, England divided by, uh, again, this is by date of specimen. So it's like the, um, again, it's the same number. So it's by the date in which it was recorded, not reported. And um, this is, again, this is the, uh, if you normalize this, uh, like you, you <laughs> sorry, not normalize, but you know, if you, again, you adjust by the, um, the actual date, then you see that all these numbers all the peaks happened before the national lockdown was enacted, right? So, and it's still in, it's still there. And uh, yeah, so in Spain they didn't report shit during weekends. Same thing. That's in. That's why you see very often you see there are fluctuations in the data. Uh, that's what you see most of the time if you don't do this uh, seven-day moving average. Um, which means you do some kind of average to, to smooth out these uh, gaps in reporting, then you would see huge uh, fluctuations about the data. That's what you see every time. So again, that's what that that again that's what what you need to adjust for. Not just by you know doing a moving average, but you need to shift some of the data back and try to trace them back to the reported day. Now there's a lot more of, of, uh, of graphs here and I'm not digging into this um, again. So this is now we are entering the third wave. I don't know if you know this, but pretty much everywhere in Europe we are facing this kind of, you know, rising third wave of uh, COVID infections. It's in Italy, for example, this is something that was striking me all the time because they were claiming in Italy, if only we had lockdown like in Germany, we would have prevented the third wave from happening except it's taking place in Germany as well. Granted, it might be smaller. I mean, it would most likely be a th smaller third wave than the second one, but it's taking place nonetheless, despite how many months of lockdown, uh, maybe 
two or something so three months at least so again mm, this uh, mentioning Serbia it's another place that had no lockdown they had some curfews they had some shutdowns of the restaurants and bars pretty much early during the day not I think around 9 or 10 was until December January I, I don't know the details I'm sorry but they did they never really locked down maybe during the first wave you could they, they had a very early um so you had this uh curfews taking place at five but they never really did shut down everything like many shops were still being open during the first wave second wave was still more opened and again you see they, it's the same pattern so they had the peak around uh, december early december and then it's going down no lockdown again and now it's there's a third wave it's uh it's like in sweden so same thing in florida you can look at florida it's uh one of the most interesting cases because florida is completely opened i don't know if you remember the um like merheads might remember that there were a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, noise on social media in december because still panther dead to play some shows and there were I guess at least thousands of people in indoor clubs packed with the thousands of people in Florida everyone was predicting doom Florida had uh, I think the Super Bowl I don't know the details because I don't know anything about the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl. I know there were at least hundreds of thousands of people without masks celebrating in the streets everyone was predicting doom and gloom and nothing of that happened Again, I'm not advocating for going to clubs with thousands of people or doing celebrations. But on the other hand, if you do, you know, you let people meet and do this kind of celebrations. And the data, it's not that nothing is happening. There are still cases, but again, it's, it's descending like everywhere else. Then you should explain me why. Why, if you say that these events are so important and they drive so much the curve and they have so much relevance, then why don't you see this in the data what's going on there i mean maybe it's something that can just happen in florida because of the climate or because of the population age or because cubans have some kind of natural immunity i don't know um just a note so it's florida is going quite fast with the vaccination yes but this was in december before the vaccine before everything so december there was there were the shows and it went down before that so I think vaccination might help explaining why they won't face a third curve of infections or at least of deaths. So again, this is the daily number of COVID deaths. You always see there is some delay between the infection curve and the death curve, but this is not relevant. And so anyway, this is, uh, is is going again, and um, people are you know they're saying Swedish disaster, Georgia experiment, human sacrifice. There's plenty of articles on Florida as well. Everyone was predicting disasters, um, but it's not happening. And again, this is another in important point that when you point out counterexamples to the review, pro lockdown individuals always have a way to explain them away. So they are always ready to bring up difference between places that have not locked down and others that did not, which they believe explains why the epidemic wasn't significantly worse in the former than in the latter. 
In the case of Sweden, what always comes up is population density, for example. If Sweden did not have more COVID deaths than many countries, it's because they have a very low population density. The problem is that when you look at the data, there is no clear relationship between population density and the number of COVID-19 deaths per capita. Again, this, you know, when people say, for example, okay, so this is a plot, this is the number of deaths, and this is the, the population density, population weighted population density, and you don't see, I mean, there's a very, very weak correlation. It's really hard to make a case for, uh, you know, P is 0.19, it's, it's not statistically significant. R square 0, 0, 0.05, it's, uh, it's very, very hard to make a point, to, to make a case for a positive correlation between uh, number of deaths and uh, density. So this means in practical terms that density is not an important factor driving the pandemic, at least again, when you average between lots of countries, just, you know, just look at death rates and population density, and you don't see there's, there's no, there's no um, correlation on large scales. Um, by the way, there is Belarus here, and Belarus is also a very interesting example, because though I'm no fan of Lukashenko, of course, and I'm no fan of, uh, you know, dictatorships, um, they are in a they are living in a freer society at the moment than we are in Europe. I must admit that they are open and there's no corpses piling up, piling piling up in the streets. That was the prediction that we had during the first ep epidemic. That if we don't close everything, there will be hospitals full uh, and of dead people. It's not happening there, so maybe they're just hiding it. But you know, if the numbers were as high as the predictions, so there was all this of millions of people, because that was the, the first predictions were, um, were um, during March and April. So it would be really hard at least to hide, you know, hundreds of thousands of dead people. There should be pictures of that. There should be something all over social media. It, it should, we would have seen that. There's no way you can hide so many deaths in Europe. Like even by satellite, you should see like, piling up of dead bodies. Why is that not happening? Though the place is open, restaurants are open, there's concert, there's people going to dance halls, discotheques, and again, this is not to say that, you know, we should all go to discos and, and that stuff, but if you are pro-lockdown, then you should explain to me then why this place, like many others, if you have a model that explain exactly why just Belarus and Florida are not being devastated completely by dead people? Why are they not being, you know, like filled with uh, with corpses? So you should have a mathematical model that accounts for the fact that Belarus is, you know, it's it's, it's going fine. But the same model should also account for the fact that if we didn't lock down in Italy for some factor, then we would all, you know, we'd have hundreds of thousands of dead people. This is what, what I'm expecting from a, from a theory. Like you cannot just have a theory for one place and like assume it works everywhere. Like a theory, a mathematical model should be, a, you know, maybe you can tune some, you can change some parameters, of course, in order to apply it to a different situation. But the structure of the theory should be the same. If you have a mathematical theory, you need to have one structure with some parameters. You can adjust the parameters according to the case that you want to study. But the structure of the theory should be the same. And I want to see one theory that accounts 
For why is, is it Belarus not being filled with dead people? Why is it that, you know, also, and that's, again, this is before the vaccines, before any, any anything like the vaccines uh, <laughs> was introduced. Um, why is it that same thing didn't happen in Florida? Why is the same thing didn't happen in, in Sweden? And I want to see the same model applied, you know, you, you can change some parameters, fine, okay, but I want to see the, this thing being applied to Sweden and uh, Belarus and tell me, look, they, for some kind of intrinsic property, they didn't need to lock down, but we need it. And then I want to understand what is this intrinsic property? Why is it that if we Italians meet in a restaurant, we pass it to each other, the, you know, even if we just sit down, sit on a table and we stay, you know, we keep the distance, we don't hug anyone because that's what we've been doing for the whole summer, at least for the fall and until now when we would go to restaurants for lunchtime. We are not really hugging each other. You know, there were many few tables available. Um, again, so why is it that people in Belarus can do that and do not die? And why is it that we cannot do that? What's the the, 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 the element here that is making the difference? Because I mean, lockdowns, like scientifically, I'm still open to the possibility that lockdowns might work under very special conditions. Why isn't anyone telling me what these special conditions are? Again, I would say that, you know, judging by the, the data that I have so far, I wouldn't say that's the case, but still I'm open to that to that possibility. And, and I think it's something that is, you know, should be discussed. If your theory is predicting something, then why isn't this something happening in some cases? So, there's a lot more. Uh, this is Spain. Spain didn't really, didn't really lock down during the second wave and still it's going down. I know that in Madrid, bars were opened, for example, and you see the curve in Madrid, despite the bars being open even at night, I think until 10 or something. Um, okay. Um, so, anyway. So let me go, let me see if there is something more to this article. It's very, it's very long. Um, I think I can, I can end it here. Uh, I think it was already a very long uh, episode of this uh, Gattocast podcast. I hope it wasn't boring. I hope I could explain myself pretty uh, clearly at least. I mean, again, I understand that making this point is it's not so popular nowadays. M many people that say that you shouldn't lock down um, they're being seen as selfish. They think they want to open up everything just because they like going out and they don't care about other people's lives. But again, the point is not uh, being selfish or not. It's like this measure does not work. Like you can see that there's again, places that didn't lock down did not uh, face this uh, continuous wave of exponential growth of cases, none of them. There's Southeast, the whole Southeast Asia, there's Belarus, there's Florida, there's uh, yeah, Japan, there's Sweden. So this is, you know, there's enough examples of places. I mean, there's a whole area of Africa, <laughs> again. There's lots of places. Um, there's places that completely shut down and still they were facing these waves of the pandemic. You can still see that in many cases, the uh, lockdowns were introduced after reaching the peak of the curve. So there's many reasons why you would 
you can make a case against the lockdown. It's pretty strong because, again, we are not talking about changing a law about, you know, you, you have to go home by two or, or three. This is, it's a huge thing. So you have a huge thing, you have a huge impact on people's lives. Um, you should see a huge effect and you don't see that. Why? So, and, and again, it's it's very important. Now I, I hope we'll, we'll get over this with the vaccines, but my personal concern is that we've set a precedent for, for the future, which is very dangerous. It's something very dangerous. Now, how easy it was to close down entire society like they could do it and no one there were basically no demonstrations there were no protests it's um it was very <laughs> you know it's very frightening because except for serbia as far as i know no one really w went in the streets to protest against shutdown of uh of the against lockdowns and it really showed how how easy is it to have millions of people obey the government and say, okay, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> granted there's, you know, health issues, there are scientists, um, but if anything, I think this is uh, something really bad for science, because again, science should start from the data, from the evidence, from the correlations that you see in the data, not from what you have in your mind, even if it's a perfect theory, it works perfectly. Maybe you have, you know, even lab experiments. Um, maybe you know you have uh, lab experiments on the um, on masks on the way the virus is, is transmitted and everything then again one thing is laboratory the other thing is real life so in real life things do not really work like in the lab right so it's not everything under control there's plenty of factors we are not controlling for and so one thing again is that you know, people usually say oh if only everyone just respected the rules if only everyone uh, just put on the mask if only everyone that's all if only everyone it's always like blaming it on someone that's not respecting the rules which is i mean granted there are people like that but you know if you're you still preventing 90 percent of the people from going to the bus because they're shutting down everything so you cannot go to the bus there might be some illegal parties somewhere but this is like you know if you think about this like th thousands of times smaller than what would happen in normal cases so you're, you're still saying that one percent two percent maybe five percent of the population that's not respecting the rule the rules is responsible for the complete collapse of these rules the complete malfunctioning of these rules then i mean if you have a theory that only works if 100 percent complies then you shouldn't even dare to use that theory i mean you always need to have some margin right you cannot apply things that work only if only if 100 percent agrees then we're screwed <laughs> It's, it, it, I mean, I don't think that's the case, but even if you would make that case that it only works, lockdowns only work if 100% of the people do that, even only if 90%, then we are screwed because it's, uh, it will be very hard to get everyone on the same page. And though, I mean, I, and I think that the large majority, overwhelming majority of the people are obeying the mask mandates. They are not going to restaurants. They are not going to bars. There's no illegal bar. I haven't seen anyone. Maybe I heard of two in Rome out of I don't know how many thousands of restaurants of restaurants and bars we have here. I know of two that they are open. I heard. I mean, I haven't been there. I heard about two places that might be open. So um, is that just because there are two places and maybe a hundred people in a city of three millions that the virus is still going around? 
come on. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really preposterous. It's, it's ridiculous um, thing. So, um, all right. So let me know if you have more questions or other requests or if you have some remarks. Um, so, yeah, there were virus, virus deniers, not lockdown deniers. So, again, it's this is another issue that people conflate the whole issues together. So, one issue is the virus. I mean, the virus might be 100% mortality. I'm not denying there is a virus. I'm not even talking about the death rates. I mean, it might be the most dangerous virus ever. I'm just saying this measure, judged you know, by the data, it's not effective. Okay, because you have this thing, you have this cause, you have this effect. So you predict that if you do this, you should see this. You do this, you don't see that, right? So it doesn't work, granted. I mean, the prediction is if you don't lock down, you will have an exponential growth of cases indefinite. No, it's not, it's not happening. It's not happening. You have enough cases to say that's not the case. It's not what, what's going on here. So we need to change the theory of how this virus propagates. And the other way around, again, it's like you say, if you shut down everyone and you prevent people from meeting, then the virus does not spread. No, there's counter examples to that as well. You see that in many cases, the virus keeps spreading. So, and again, this has nothing to do with the virus. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not denying that the virus is there and it, it's dangerous and not denying that the vaccines work. I mean, I don't, I don't care about that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't have um, training in biology or anything that's uh, related to medicine, but I'm just judging. This is a theory and these are the data. So this is something that I know very well how to do. I, how to estimate the likelihood that the theory is true given a set of observations. So we have observations and we have a theory. Is the theory in agreement with the observations? My answer is most likely no. You really need to change the theory from within and um, and make the theory in agreement with the world view, with, with the world data. It's not the other way around. You shouldn't change the data to make them uh, fit your theory. Um, the problem here is that people in restaurants and cafeterias inside these places are not wearing the fucking mask and this is the problem. No, this is not the problem. This is not the problem because there's plenty of places where you have restaurants and bars with people with no mask. So I, again, I can quote Florida, I can quote Sweden, even Italy, we didn't have masks. And you don't have a difference in rates between places where everyone is wearing a mask and, any, and many people are not. You don't see that. You just don't see that you can there's i'm not showing it here but there's lots of plots and graphs you can see uh, of charts that you can see on the for example for the us for those states states that had a mask mandate and those who didn't so you had places with a lot of stringent rules about where to wear masks how to wear them and all these kind of things and others that did have no rule so how come that they have the same curves if masks count that much, why is it that after all these must, months of mask wearing, why is it that, you know, after we have 90% compliance rate in Italy, it's 90%. If 90% of the population is wearing masks, why is this, this, this thing still, still around? It's the same thing in France. In Sweden, they had maybe 10 to 20% of people wearing masks. So why isn't Sweden 
like ten, they, they have like five times less in percent in percent terms of people wearing masks. So why is it that even if it's you know it's five times less and still don't have five times more dead people? That's the question to ask because I mean I can understand why you would think that masks work because you would say they stop the droplets, they filter some particles, you get less, maybe they filter the virus, and that's fine, right? So the thing is, if you say that masks, so that what I can say is this: the way we wear masks, the way masks have been, you know, going around do not really have a significant impact on the way the virus is being spread because places with no mask mandate or less stringent mask mandates had exactly the same spread exactly not but you know you had some fluctuations but you don't see a trend i mean again if you claim that the masks are very um that's that's i mean i, I could make another gatokas episode just on the mask because i it's something that i um there's there's a lot of literature I let, uh, there's a nice review on that and the actually the review which is pro mask if you take them seriously it shows that the masks do not work because they have some plot there that's correlating the effectiveness of the masks with the r of t that you expect so the reproduction rate and so they claim that if you have uh, like 80 percent of compliance and then you should always have a reproduction rate below one uh, which is not the case which means that masks are not effective Anyway, so this is something more complicated. And I'm in favor of take, taking precautions, but not in favor of lockdowns. This is a comment. I completely agree. I mean, I think that it's, it makes sense to take precautions. If you think it's important for you, you should be very careful in wearing masks. I'm, I'm not saying that masks do not work. I'm saying the kind of masks that people usually wear are not having an effect. Though the only place that enforced uh, FFP2, so it's a nine, I think it's N95 in the US, so it's um, very um, it's this kind of mask um, that filter 95% of the particles. It was Germany, and they had a third wave, and the rate of descent of cases during after you know after the uh, enforcement of this mandate was the same as everywhere else. You can compare it, for example, with the US. It was very similar, or other, you know, even Italy. Um, I don't, Italy, I think it was something different. But again, you cannot really see the effect of enforcing a mandate on uh, very uh, sophisticated masks. It's exactly the same as everywhere else. And still, they got the third wave. So they're entering into a third wave. So, um, but again, I think it's, uh, it's something that you, you want we should do it it's, it's something that should be left for for every one of us if we want to take precautions you should you don't want to go out great i'm just saying that you know the common wisdom that we know that if you keep people at home then the virus does not spread this is not true the virus is still going around somehow so, i mean still argue that you should lock down even more i would argue that it doesn't make much sense because it's uh it's just destroying people's lives and again um Again, like if you push it to the limit, then you could just argue for killing everyone, so no one dies of COVID. You just shot, you shoot everyone, and no one dies of COVID, and problem is solved. But we shouldn't really care just about COVID. We should care about other things in life and in society because, again, restrictions have an impact on lives. 
and I'm not talking about this, but um, the um, there are considerable costs. So if you do a cost benefit analysis, it, you find out that it's not worth it. Anyway. So the, um, there's another question. So the quarantine is not necessarily the best method to stop contagion. So what is the purpose of lockdown? The purpose of lockdown is preventing people from meeting because this, so the idea is in uh, epidemiological model is that you have uh, interaction between people. And so you have people that are infected and people that are not infected. And if you don't prevent people that are infected, people that are not infected, then the virus will spread. And so this spread will be proportional to the number of infected people. And so until you don't reach the, um, okay. Um, um, until you reach the um, herd immunity. Okay, so this is the, again, this is the theory, but uh, it's not what's, what ha what's happening in practice. So the purpose of lockdown was preventing people from meeting because it, it's thought that, you know, it's, that's the way that um, the virus uh, spread, but it's still spreading um, in places which did, did lockdown. And anyway, the places that did lockdown did not do much so much better than those who didn't. And again, locking down is not it's not a small thing that you're doing. It's something macroscopic, and you should see a huge effect. And you don't see that. So at best, you have some small effect on reduction of the, of the cases. Um, okay, so I see the point. But with the virus being airborne, if you restrict the social contacts, it's proved that people doing this are not getting infected. It's not proved. I mean, again, the data that shows that even if you reduce so you reduce mobility you reduce social contacts because you prevent you know you shut down all the restaurants and bars you shut down the schools and this is what what's happening in a lockdown right so you're closing places where people meet so you are restricting the social contacts by orders of magnitude you're meeting hundreds of people less every day because you're not going to concerts you're not going to bars you're not going to restaurants you're not going to school university so it's thousands of people less that you meet every day, hundreds of people, less. it depends on where you live. But. And so this is not shown because these places have exactly on average the same rates as places that didn't close anything. So why is this the case? I don't know. I mean, I understand that if you do a lab experiment, a controlled experiment in a laboratory, you do find that you have, if you wear the masks in some way, then you prevent the virus from, you know, you, you, you filter that. There, there are some studies on this and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's, they're not valid. I'm, what I'm saying is that once you apply all these measures in real life, then we are still missing some elements. So in real life, all these ideas that work really nice because I understand it that if I have the virus and I don't meet anyone, then I'm not spreading the virus. Okay, fair enough. What if, you know, it's enough that I open the window and then the virus goes, you know, with the wind or with some particles? I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm making stuff up. Maybe this is the case. Maybe it's not. Um, the, these are the things that we should be studied. But we should start from the data. So the data, cl again, clearly says that if you do all these kind of restrictions, you don't reduce anything. So what? So should we trust the data or should we trust the theory? Um, so have you talked about this with any health worker or just with other scientists? No, I know a lot of actually I'm trying to get um, 
to I know a pharmacist and a doctor that are completely on the same page as I am, and they have written scientific articles on on you know on masks, on uh, lockdowns, and everything. And there's people who agree. Uh, there's a huge problem that uh, I'm not making this stuff up, but there's a lot of censorship. I mean, there's a lot of self-censorship because this is like it's not the dominating point of view at the moment, especially among doctors. And so people are afraid to be uh, really discriminated. They don't want to go out and you know state these thing, things publicly. But there's I know enough doctors and health workers, biologists that uh, do not agree with lockdowns and they think pretty pretty much I mean they say pretty much the same things uh, that I say but you know for they they see them from another perspective but they, they are and I hope to bring them in the show so I, and again I'm talking about medical doctors and uh, pharmacists and uh, people you know like scientists that work in the field and they they can make a fairly good point and again but none of what I'm saying is is based on about that so let me see if, uh, okay, let's think. Another interesting matter is people's mental health during and after the pandemic. Yes, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. It's something that's been very overlooked, but uh, I can tell you as a, uh, I can tell you as a musician that I know enough people whose mental health is, is not okay. And they really been suffering this thing because they, you know, like being told your job does not count anything, you're, useless and we can just shut down your activity even i mean it's it, this is the same thing for musicians for technicians for sound engineers that's you know like the whole category has been hit so hard and they've just been made believe that they don't count anything it's uh they're super you know they are not necessary and they can just be um put on aside because their job is not essential and so just you know we'll just put on aside and let you know maybe in the future if you if we need you again and that's uh that's very sad and for many people it's, it's very disappointing i mean for me it's very disappointing I'm, i have other jobs i'm doing other stuff so i'm fine i'm doing like personally like i think this 2020 was a very good year for me on uh, for many things so i'm not complaining for myself but i see that people are suffering from this and um Again, so I think that's uh, pretty much time to end this uh, Gattocast episode. Um, thanks a lot again for being with me. Sorry for being so, I don't know, so boring. Uh, you know, I'm a different person when I'm with Nanowar of Steel, but uh, this is the way science goes. And um, thanks a lot and see you in the future for the next Gattocast live episode.